Please open your Bible with the book of Acts, if you would, please. When the gospel overrides my rights. That's the title of tonight's sermon. When the gospel overrides my rights. Read as you would with me, please, chapter 9 in the book of Acts. And we begin with verse 10. We begin with verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayed, and had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he had authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here tonight. It's truly a blessing to be able to be in your house with your people, sing praises to your name, hear testimonies, and share with each other the great things of your works in each one of our lives. To be able to hear your word, what a privilege. Father God, let we never take for granted this freedom, this blessing, this privilege. As we go into your word now, we pray that you be with us and you will open our eyes and hearts to your word. And that we will surrender to it in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The man with a seal like no other in his times. For his people, his religion, and his God. At least that's what he taught. One that even had been a young adult was given the authority from the city... To, to take into captivity those who call on that name, the name called Jesus. A name that he considered a cancer for his people. He had vowed to eliminate that name and his followers. He had vowed that he was going to wipe them out from the, his people, Israel. But of course, God had other plans. When on his way to Damascus, this proud, ruthless, and serious man were going to destroy, according to his thought, the name of Jesus, right there in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, he says, as he journeyed, came near Damascus, and suddenly there shone round about him a light from heaven. 
And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the prisk. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which joined with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. We see a picture now of a proud and ruthless man, now broken and helpless, quietly awaiting in totally and totally devastated by this experience. In Saul's, the worst blasphemy for Saul was that the Christians said that Jesus was alive. That was the worst blasphemy for him. That's why he was so against Christians, because they claimed that Jesus was alive. But now, after this experience, Saul got to face reality. In that moment, a new faith, a new understanding of the Old Testament, a new perspective in redemption, and even an identification with those of the way that he persecuted, along with a new purpose in life, was given to him by the Lord. We, could just, we just cannot imagine the psychological, physical, and spiritual stress that this man went through. Now he was broken. He, was, he, he even needed help to walk. He was silent and quiet. Can't, couldn't even eat. He could only pray. He was going to Damascus all proud, leading the church to wipe out Christians. And now he can't even see. He needs to be led into the city. Broken, blind, waiting. He could only pray. That exactly the place that the Lord wanted him. When was the last time you or I, when was the last time we were broken? Perhaps we, may, we must think that we have no need or reason to be broken. Then I must ask this question. Have we looked into his holiness lately? Have we looked into God's holiness lately? Let's go to some passages of scripture. You would please go to the book of Psalms, chapter 99. Book of Psalms. Chapter 99, verse 5. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Revelation chapter 15. The book of Revelation chapter 15 and verse 4. Revelation chapter 15 verse 4. He said, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art, for thou 
only are holy, for all nations shall come to worship before thee, for thy judgment are made manifest. First Samuel chapter 2. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. We read the following. In her prayer, Anna prayed and said, They are none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither there is any rock like our God. Going back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 57. Isaiah, chapter 57, verse 15. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15. For thus say the high and lovely one that inhabit eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. As we look into his holiness lately, as we stare into his character. There are cherubims, there are angels that fly around the throne of God through eternity. And the only thing they, they yell, the only thing they cry out is holy, holy, holy. And two times eternity will go and they will continue to call out holy, holy, holy and still he will not be sufficient to speak of his holiness. And then when I compare myself, when I compare my wicked self to God's holiness, to tell the truth, I should be broken each and every day, each and every hour. We should look at him and bow at his feet constantly because of his holiness. We have to turn off that TV, that cell phone, put the game console aside, cancel those sports events, limit our entertainment and outing, and spend more time being broken before the Lord. Going back to Acts chapter 9 and verse 11. Souls Purpose and mission in life is going to be revealed. You know, no matter where you go, even if you think you're the only one, remember this, God has his people. God has his people. There are some that are public, unknown, but are there, there are others that are, they are Unknown, they're like they're little unknown, but they're still servants of God. A servant called Ananias. We just read about this servant that God also called people that are behind the scene supporting the word. This man is mentioned only twice in the Bible, in chapter nine and chapter twenty, thirty-two of the book of Acts. When Paul gave the account of what happened. No apostle 
was called for this particular occasion to minister to the one that will affect the known world with the name of Jesus more perhaps than any other apostle, but a little unknown disciple called An- 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 Ananias. You know, you can be behind the scene, you can be a behind the scene faithful servant to assist in God's work. Just like he did. But one thing you ought to remember is that big or small, and when we talk about the work of the Lord, nothing is very small, nothing is small. Visible or unknown, it must be done in and by faith because sometimes the Lord may put you in a risky situation like he did with Ananias. A behind the scene, little unknown servant. Thank God, God has blessed me personally with many behind the scene helpers who assist me along the way like, like a little pink pill that was sent for, for me for my travel to Kunayala this time. You say, what? A little pink pill? Yes. The last time I was on the boat, God knows I am not a boat person. God knows I'm not of the water. Never invite me to go fishing. I like my fish on a plate. That's it. The last time I went, we had three hours to go by boat to this one island. By an hour and a half, I already throw up more than ten times. If you can imagine, I was pale. Try to imagine that. I had no strength in my arms to sustain me and these boats are just open with a little canopy and, a, and, a, and, and just a piece of wood where you sit so you have to hold on to keep yourself you know, from falling. It was so bad, it was so bad that I started groaning, making everybody nervous. Literally, I thought I was going to die. I, I'm not kidding. I'm not trying to be dramatic for the effect of preaching, but I thought I was going to die. I started thinking of Julia and the kids. Never been Catholic. And is there, is, if you've been, cat, is it been Catholic or Catholic what, what, washing, I've never been a Catholic, but I try to remember any saints I could remember. And I thought, they had to stop after an hour and a half. They had to stop at an island to pull me out between like seven people. They're small. Not that I'm too big. They're small. (laughs) And tried to bring me back and ask me, Pastor, can you make it? We have an hour and a half left. I said, we got to go. I'm going for a conference. So they wait for half an hour. It was raining and the water was choppy. They put me back in and I, it was so bad. When I got there, I collapsed. Nighttime came and it was time for, 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 for preaching. There are people that came from other islands. You know, for this conference, there were groups that traveled by boat for two days to get there. Two days. They left the island, they stopped at one island, slept, and continued the next day. 
I have students that go in a dugout 14 hours rowing to come to get trained. Folks, I couldn't say no. When I got there, they said, Pastor, are you going to preach? You don't have to preach. I said, I have to. All these people are here to come for the conference to hear preach. I'm going to preach. So I preached that night. And at the end of preaching, they took me in. I just dropped on, on my bed and stayed there. All the pastors started conference. They sent and called for a plane to come the next day to pick, to pick me up and take me back to the city. They really didn't want this guy dying on them on the island. We have enough problems here for having <laughs> you die on us here. So my sister, who knows this, and know that I am not, since I was a boy, I can't go by bus, I have to, I, I, it's just terrible. She sent me this little pill, a packet of these little pills, said, take it before half an hour you get on the boat. I look at it, the pill is, was like, a sm- it's smaller than a grain of rice. Little pink pill. What is this little thing going to do for the big guy like me? But I decided to take it. When we got to port, it was raining. They wasn't allowing boats to go out. We had to wait there, maybe like, what, an hour or so, hour, because it was raining. That's how bad it is that they even, they that know about the, the, the ocean, they were not go, 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 going out either. I said, God, that's it. I think I'm going to die here. I'm not going to fare. I took the pill, and I went in the boat, and Brother, well, you see me standing here, so you know the rest of the story. It was the best boat ride I ever had in my life. The best. Pastor Crumpton have a, have, a, have a video of me. The only thing I was doing was my head was going like this. I slept all the way. I don't care how the video, it just, you know, abusing the poor guy, bumping around, but I don't mind. I was happy. I got to the island and no stomach ache, no headache. I was able to eat. I said, oh my goodness. I call. As soon as I get back home, I get back, have internet as I call my sister. Say, Aileen, you saved my life. They said, that's how I felt. Because I tried to get a plane to get there, to Agotsukun. They have a land field where you can land. No planes. They said, you could charter a plane, $1,800. I said, mm, I don't have that money. Let's get a bigger boat. No big boat. If you want to get a bigger boat, it's 500 to go and 500 coming back. That's too much money. What do we have? Well, a pastor has a boat. What type of boat? A kind of good sized boat, but with two, you know, blender type um, motors. It was going fast, but not fast enough that you couldn't feel. Yeah. But thank God for that little pill. When I, I tell this story at Mosaic um, today, and one, of the, and one of the people asked me, was it legal? <laughs> was it legal? I said, yes, it was legal. No funny <laughs> You know, Ananias' initial fear and reluctance to go is based on reality. Do you read it there? 
He was going to a man that was killing Christians. He entered in a conversation with Jesus, but the obedient servant followed the instruction of his Lord in spite of being hesitant or fearful. You know, one of my prayers has always been that I can exercise that type of obedience in ministry, in life. To go to people or places where my talent, ability, strength, and natural capabilities are of no advantage. But solely my trust and faith in the Lord. Would I be obedient then? Would you? You know, you might not know this, so perhaps I've said it before, but even standing here is a, is a kind of a challenge for me. I am a natural stutter. And I guess when I preach, you get that from time to time. I get stuck. I forget to hit the clutch to be able to continue. And not only that, I know this because my family always tells me that Webster, Webster's turn on his grave anytime I preach because I know I butchered the English language. My family have a running dictionary of daddy's words. Every time I go home, they tell me, daddy, what is this word? What do you say that? And I'm so grateful for you all. Let me say this. You got used and I know the Holy Spirit interpreted from here to there. So I thank God for that. <laughs> but yes, would I be that type of a servant? In verse 15, God told Ananias the following. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him all great things he must suffer for my name's sake. These verses change the course of the church. Forever. The strategy of evangelism to Gentiles was announced to Ananias even before Saul understood it. These verses right there give us the picture of what is to come in the following chapter as we learn more about the life and ministry of this soul that later we call Paul. The Lord says a chosen vessel, one who going to be set apart. And the Lord himself said, and I will show him what he's going to show him, how much, how he must suffer for my name's sake. So there you have it. That was going to be his purpose and mission in life, to suffer for God's name's sake. The name of Jesus and the gospel become his compass in life. Go with me for a second in the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Where this man write to the church in Philippi. Let's say chapter 3 verse 7. After talking about his credentials, 
at the beginning of chapter 3, after talking about his credentials, he says the following. But what things were gained to me, those are count laws for Christ. Yet doubtless and I count all things but laws for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. In his life now, after that experience, after that encounter, after that faithful conversion, everything else, all until that moment, became it's garbage, dung. And Jesus became supreme. Supreme. Number one, his gospel, his name, his truth became number one. The compass of everything from, day, from that day on he will ever do or think or follow or pursue. The gospel will be the one who tracks him, who leads him. He write to the Philippians. And let me tell you, these people of Philippi knew exactly what Paul was talking about. They knew that for Paul, the gospel supersedes his rights. Because they saw it firsthand. Go to the book of Acts chapter 16, is the word please. In the book of Acts chapter 16, Paul is going to his second missionary journey. He has split from Barnabas and he went one way and Barnabas went a different way. And he had planned out the places where he was going to visit. But if you read chapter 16, you will see that as they go, three times he mentioned that the spirit, the spirit restrained them from preaching the gospel in those places where they already planned they were going to go. And then he had that Macedonian vision. He had that Macedonian vision. Let's read it. If, 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 if you would please on verse 9. Chapter 16 verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia as surely gathering that the Lord has called us for to preach the gospel unto them. They were going now to, into Europe. Into Europe to preach the gospel. It was not in his plan. God changed his course and sent him into that area. When they got to that area, and I invite you to read that chapter in its entirely. I'm going to pick some things here, just for the, for the issue of time. They got the first convert, a woman. A woman and, his, and her family got saved, got baptized. So much so that she entreated him to stay at her house. Was a wealthy woman, a, a vendor of, pur of um, purple. And as he was there, look what happened. Things are going great so far. But look at verse 12, 15, is the word please. I'm sorry, verse 16. And he came 
to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of a divination met us and which brought her master much gain by suit saying. The same followed Paul and us and cried saying, these men are servants of the most high God which show us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her saying, out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains were gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city, teaching customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And they took him and they and they beat them. I mean, they gave them stripes until the Bible said there his hand was, 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 was tired. That's how bad they beat him up. Then they sent them to jail and ordered the jailer to keep them with his, with his life. And he put them in the jail, the bottom jail, the one of the, 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 the one from all the window, the inner one. That will receive all the waste and, and, and disgustingness from all the other ones. I mean, you can imagine the humidity, the stench, the, 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 the rats, all the... It, it, it was not the holiday inns we have today. And being beaten and be thrown into jail. And then they were put... I don't know the English word for this word... Um, they were put into into stocks in this position their feet like this man years ago I could do it better not today (laughs) could you imagine after being beaten hurting, bleeding be thrown in such a jail and then put in stocks just for preaching the name of Jesus. But I have one, one thing to say here. Hold on a second. God changed their plans. He sent them there. Did God knew that was going to happen? Of course he did. No question about it. But was his will, he sent them there. He sent them to that situation. He put them in that circumstance. If you look at the very next verse, I think it's verse 20, um, 25, it says, what was Paul and Silas' response to all of this? They didn't grump or gripe against God. They didn't get depressed. They didn't question his authority and sovereignty. Then they said, God, we had our plans. Why did you set them sent us here? Why is this happening to us? We, you're supposed to protect us, blah, 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 blah. No, what they did is that they were singing hymns and praising God. Oh my goodness. Yes, in the middle of everything that is wrong, they could still trust God's faithfulness because he sent them there. Wow. And as they're singing, an earthquake happened. Doors get open. Chains fell off. 
The jailer saw what was going on. He's about to kill himself. And Paul said, hey, don't hurt yourself. We are all here. All. He ran inside the jail where Paul was standing with the rest of prisoners and fell on, his, on the ground and said, what should I do to be saved? I guarantee those jailers, uh, those prisoners and the jailer, they, were, they, they couldn't help to listen to the songs and the hymns and the worship from those two men. That night, the jailer got saved. Those men, or those men in prison, they got saved. You know what happened next? I'm not going to read it because of the force of time. They went, the jailer took him to his house. I mean, this is happening at midnight, okay? He took them to his house. Paul witnessed to his family. They got saved. They got baptized. They, let, they, 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 they prepare a meal. They start Curing his wounds, both of him and silent and Silas. And before daybreak, they went back to the jail. Every single one of them went back in their cell and closed the door. Folks, only Christians will do that. Only Christians will do that. But now they go back as brothers. As brothers. Not just a Roman jailer and his prisoners, but no, they're brothers. And look at this. A church is born because of all this circumstance. But it gets even better. Read. We got to read this one. Okay. Look at verse 35. God, this is the part that I like. All right. And when he was there, the magistrate sent the, ser- the sergeant saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrate has sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly and condemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they trust us Privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrate, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. Oh, they're in trouble. They're in trouble. It sounds like good news. You can just imagine the jailer. Paul, Paul, Paul. They just said, order. You can get out. You can go home. You're free to go. Eli excited, and Paul said, no, I'm not going anywhere. Say what? No. They beat me without I being without a trial, throw me into jail, and I'm a Roman. He's a Roman. According to Roman law, They couldn't do this. A Roman citizen was entitled to a proper procedure to go through the facts and have a a time before a judge, before a magistrate. There had to be a sentence. He was a Roman citizen. He had rights for him. He could even appeal to Caesar, which he did later on. 
He's a Roman. No, you know what, what blow my mind? Paul, what detail you left out? Why did you say that when they were beating you up? Because you see, this man took them to the magistrate and accused them of going against and teaching things that were not allowed, being them Romans, because these men were Jews. They treat them like that because they thought they were all Jews. They could do with them whatever they want. But all of a sudden, now they find out Paul is Roman. They were Roman. He holds back all that information. Why? Why? If he would have said, I'm a Roman, from the get-go, he would have been beaten. None of this would have happened. But you know what also would have not happened too? The jailer would have not been saved. Those men in prison would have not been saved. And most probably that church in Philippi would have not been started. He had a gospel mindset. That caused him to go through all and endure all that suffering, giving up his rights, giving up that he had to get out of it, looking for the betterment of others. Lydian family salvation, the jailers and family salvation, the prisoners salvation, the testimony to the new mission field in Europe. And of course, we would have never had the book of Philippians. When the gospel is the center of our life and it governs our mind and heart, we are willing to give up anything and go anywhere as the Spirit moves and the Lord commands. Having a gospel mindset is going to cost you. Having a gospel as a filter for your priorities in life is, is going to make you look weird in the eyes of the common man and maybe even to some believers. Being gospel-minded will, will cause us to love others sacrificially. To say that I am a gospel-driven will mean that I love the Lord supremely and stop at nothing to bring glory to his name. I invite you, if you would, in your time to read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 16 to chapter 12, verse 14 and 15, or the both chapters, where he, where he lists all the experience and suffering that he gone through the, because of the name of Christ. All the experiences, all the hardships, where he enlists how his suffering in his flesh, that messenger, he called it the messenger of Satan. That three times he asked God and God told to take it away from him and God told him, my grace is sufficient for thee. He asked three times, he didn't ask anymore. <laughs> Where he tell the church of Corinth, a church that gave him the most trouble, even questioning his apostleship, even questioning his leadership, and he started that church. <laughs> I know they, they consider him like nothing. And he tells them at the end of chapter 12, verse 14, he said, listen, I will spend and be spent for the love of your souls. Even, as I, even though I love you more, I be loved less. 
It doesn't matter because it's because of the name is for the name of the of Jesus Christ on the cross of the gospel. He was no longer after his conversion. He was no longer about him and his rights. What am I willing to give up for the gospel? What is the price in obedience of God that God is calling me to pay in order to bring glory to his name? Am I so wrapped up in the affairs of this world, politics, social justice, finances, relationships, career, education, that I have forgotten to live for and by the gospel? How important is my purpose as a believer in Christ? How is that is my how important is my purpose as a believer in Christ? Do I even know what's my what is my purpose? Am I even a believer? God help us to realize that the gospel God will drive our life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. There's so much in there. We need you every hour. Every hour we need you. Give us the passion. Give us the drive, Lord. Give us the strength. But especially, Lord, help us to be broken before you. Broken to the point that we understand that we can't even walk without holding your hand. We pray, God, that you... Help us to be gospel-minded in everything that we do, in all our activities. Let us take advantage this week. Put people in our path. And let us be willing to pay the price and go to place with you. Thank you for your many blessings. We ask for your blessings as we go home now, for tonight and this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.